Welcome to Machine Learning, a pod about the machine by Pod Against the Machine, the only podcast with a supplementary podcast with a 25-word title. I'm Jero. <laughs> no lies to I got it. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to this podcast that I said, I mean, Jeff got it right on the first time, but I got it right every time I did it. So I got points for that as well. My name is Zach, and this, I think, is the start of the recording. It's been pretty unclear for the last four <laughs> minutes what I'm doing. Hello. Uh, that's the end of my duties, right? <laughs> yeah. That's definitely the only thing you have to do as a host. <laughs> now you have to recap all of the episodes from memory. Yes, yeah, so now is the portion of the episode where I pull it up on my favorite podcast app and look at the titles of our previous episodes. An attempt to remember what transpired during that time. Well, to help you out a little bit, we, um, what did we do? Uh, we left off right after Vargas was brought back to life by his friendly, wonderful mother. Oh yeah, you died. But then you came back. And you stayed with us forever, right? That's how the story goes, Jero? Uh, yeah, he got brought back and is still a member of the Very Capable Four and will be forever. Spent way too much money on that branding deal to ever try to swap out a PC. Now that, yeah, she brought him back and then she says, Hey, surprise, I'm still alive. So are these two dudes come back with us right now and leave all the friends behind? And his answer to that was, No, you haven't talked to me in 25 years. Uh, screw you. And there's the door. Oh, well, at least he didn't leave with her after she was so friendly. And we were all excited to meet her because you've told us so much about her in character as Vargas. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely told everyone his entire backstory and who his family is and what his past was, and you guys were all totally expecting something like that to happen. So, I'll put this back on the rails. And this one, this one goes out to some of the GMs out there. Sam, how did you feel, this happens from time to time, where narrative control is shared? In that, granted, this is a collaborative storytelling podcast in this game that we all sit down and do. But in this instance, I believe this was the episode that Jerome told us that they were going to bed. Um, How does it make you feel? I think that might have been the the last one. But yeah, Jerome and I were frantically typing back and forth in the Discord while I was trying to run the game and get us to there while Jerome was also like figuring out what on earth he was going to do yeah i was rewriting a completely yeah. different scene to fit the narrative of happening uh in scrap wall with vargas <laughs> dead which uh were two things that originally did not have anything to do with uh the scene of her showing up and demanding that he come with her <laughs> so that was a pretty serious and important change <laughs> to that particular scene <laughs> As well as having it happen live in front of the other PCs was a pretty serious and major change to that scene. Yeah, I mean, from a GM perspective, it was a pretty scary situation because, like, it's different 
when you're doing this for a show and you have to be like, all right, well, normally Jiro we could stop here and Jiro could have like a week or the two weeks to figure out what to do backup character wise or if you wanted to commit to the revive and like we could talk about this stuff. But in this case, um, we did the death episode and the rebirth episode back to back. Yeah, like, during one recording session. That was all one session. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, all right, we have to make some pretty big decisions pretty quickly and, like, cover a lot of important narrative by the seat of our pants, which is something that, you know, there's not really an equivalent in, like, you're reading a book and all of a sudden the author has to deal with everything changed on them, or you're watching a TV show and the showrunner suddenly has to deal with the fact that the main character of the show pieced out between scenes <laughs> and you have to rewrite things on the flyer or something like, like, ah, it was, it was stressful. I think it came out really good, but it was terrifying, especially with the conflict building up yeah. with, like, I, Izzy was playing Kira, true to Kira's character of being locked yeah. into the idea of like, we need Vargas to stay, we need to bring him back now, and I don't know you people, so you people are kind of the enemy if you're against that, and yeah. it got very high tension, and <laughs> I mean, I think it came out great. The other option was uh, to just recast Vargas as Roger Moore with a bucket on his head, but... <laughs> Which is a reference I really hope some people listening get. And like, in a general sense, this kind of opens up a larger conversation uh, that goes into not only how tables play, but how even different tables tell different stories is the do you revive, right? And like, this one made it pretty easy for us. By this one, I mean this AP, because they gave us a overpowered res scroll pretty early on. Perhaps the balance old spicy Neil's fires of creation. However, we did manage to not die in the first book. So, and we almost got through the second book without using it, but we did choose to bring you back. And mm -hmm. like most pods, we have constant conversations about what our backup characters are um, yeah. because we're always excited about the, the next thing kind of. Mm. So how did it feel? Like what was going on in your mind about bringing Vargas back? Like, definitely, if if we hadn't had the scroll, I would have been fine with him staying gone. I have a couple of backup, and I they all have, like, 12 pages of backstory also because I have a problem. Uh, but <laughs> I did have stuff, someone that could have come in. It would have been kind of clunky to figure out a way to bring them in in Scrapwall, but I could have done it. And if we didn't have the scroll, I would have, and I would have, like, still had, I probably still would have had, like, uh, occasionally done, like, intro vignettes of the rest of Argus's story, just because it was something that existed in-universe that I wanted to get out. But the fact that we had the, the scroll, I felt less bad about being like, he can probably come back, which is basically what I wrote Sam like. Basically, I said, like, well, either they can decide to use the scroll, or if they don't, his mom can show up and basically just cast the spell and then just take the scroll and leave so that it doesn't get used. And he's like, yeah, hey, either of those can work. And then we got back, and Izzy goes immediately, well, we're going to use the scroll. <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah, either way, we're good. Jeff, 
thoughts? Uh, yeah, that was definitely a twist that I didn't see coming. Which I know shouldn't be the case, right? I mean, how many times does a character die and then their mom shows up? Like, uh, I mean, it, it's a it's a fairly tried and true model at this point, but still, I didn't see it coming to the Vargas. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, in the end, it was all worth it because Vargas decided to stay with the party forever. <laughs> so we don't feel like yeah. any resources were going to yeah. be uh, expended. And uh, yeah, we were all on the same page. Yeah. yeah no, he, he stayed together with everyone forever. Uh, his mom was very rude, so he definitely did not decide to uh, go seek her out for training anyway on his own or anything. Uh, yeah, he kicked no. her to the curb, and I'm pretty sure we'll never see her again. Yeah. Well, and whoever dies gets to play Vargas. That's how it works. Since he yeah. used the scroll, he's now everybody's <laughs> yeah. backup. So yeah. whoever it is, <laughs> yeah, that we yeah, come in. get to kick me out mm-hmm. and play him instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While playing our own backup character at the same time. Yeah, no. Um, but it is it, it gets into an interesting thing. So in long-term campaigns that you all have played, um, or just kind of maybe your own personal preference, are you a, a die or revivify sort of person? And we're assuming that both are present, that the latter isn't too much of a resource strain on a group. So let's uh, let's kick it off with Sam, because he is to my digital left. I am generally speaking, not a big reviver of characters, historically speaking. Partially because, like, I make too many characters and I fall in love with my backups. And, you know, I get in a, a situation where, like, I want to play a new character. Um, I've had a couple exceptions to this where, like, I just felt like the character's arc just wasn't done and I needed to, to keep them going. But usually, I mean, I've, I've got 30 more in the hopper and I like stories to have endings. So, you know, if the character has, like, kind of finished something had some complete story arc and then they die at a point where it feels like it can be a satisfying conclusion i'm pretty happy with that all right let's uh keep rolling in that counterclockwise situation jeff yeah i am nearly always a just let the dice tell the story kind of guy the one time one time in a play by post i did have a character die because of course i failed fortitude save Again, it's like a cloud kill. And they were reincarnated, because there was a scroll of reincarnate. Uh, and they came back as a goblin. And in this particular campaign, goblins were one of the very much bad guys of the region. So my character was persuaded to basically try again. <laughs> one of the party members will CDG you and will reincarnate you again. What could wow. possibly go wrong? <laughs> Uh, and so he did come back at that point as a human, uh, but was kind of, he had some, some serious trauma from that whole experience. And yeah, I think that was, that's really the only time I could think of where I've let that happen. And it was, I don't know, obviously a weird situation, but by and large, it, it might be difficult should, uh, the dice tell a story that has a rather un- anticlimactic end it might be harder in the moment if say I'm, I'm playing like a gunslinger slash paladin and maybe they eat bad shrimp and <laughs> fail some fortitude <laughs> saves and die 
that would that'd be pretty lame. Mm. But uh, hard to say. I'd probably have somebody come back, come in with a, an iron gut. Because, <laughs> like Sam, I also have so many backup characters. Uh, I never want one of my piece, one of my beloved characters to perish. But if they do, I've got some options. Jiro, uh, I'm usually a if they die, they die uh, Ivan Drago person. I will say. One time, uh, the only long-form uh, Pathfinder campaign that I've done before, this one, that ended in uh, partway through book three, but it was uh, Ruins of Aslant. And I did have a PC that died the very first day we stepped foot on the island <laughs> that I was kind of upset about because I really wanted to play the class, but I just made my backup the exact same class. Uh, <laughs> classic also their brother yeah. and <laughs> yeah. well the first one was a sea elf sorcerer who uh was immediately murdered by a choker like 10 minutes after setting foot on the island <laughs> and the second one was a human to get the extra feats to be a bit more survivable also sorcerer and that one survived up through until the uh game kind of fell apart <laughs> but other times where i've had a uh PC die in games, uh, mostly in uh, 5e or just in like little module. When it's in a module, I don't really mind because that's basically the end of it. Like they're just that person died halfway through the movie. Oh well, kind of thing. Uh, but when it's happened in like longer form stuff in 5e, I'm fine rolling up a new character. I literally had a character die because the GM got upset because that character couldn't get put to sleep. <laughs> and. Uh, I was fine with that, even though that character is in the middle of an arc because it was funny when it happened. Uh oh, yeah, I I feel similarly to everyone, and I think like part of that is obviously what we do. I don't know who is the first one to introduce me to this concept, but you essentially we're just gambling with our feelings. Like the more emotionally involved that you get with your character, the the more self-preservation you're going to take. Even if you're like running a show and it's funny to do something or interesting to do something, we're gonna push it because that makes good radio and maybe not something that you would do at a table because it sounds pretty lame when you're you know, listening to it. I too also suffer from the like 60, uh, you know, backup characters sitting on a very long bench being like, tag me in coach. But like, if you were to ask me about like, if Brixby went in a way that was like, really unfitting, it would be very hard to settle with that. And I think that I've also experienced a lot more attachment to this character because it's, I think there's something about doing the podcast, about talking about him, about like having other people talk about our characters. I'm like, it just has more of a, a, a meta importance that I think makes it even more difficult because like a character dying in a show that you enjoy has different implications than a character you're playing dying so you get to play another character. So like, uh, that's not to imply that we would bring back a fan favorite like Vargas, otherwise we'd lose all of our listenership base and die in a <laughs> sea of one star reviews on your favorite podcast app. Please don't give us one star reviews. Uh, but ultimately, I think it would be, I, I would echo what Jeff said, it would be really contingent on the conditions that like led to his end. But I mean, there are definitely some deaths that are super worth it. And I think this other complicated thing happens where you get a little bit further along and I'm not gonna give away any like serious spoilers to a podcast that kind of brought all of us together. But like, you know, what do you do 
when you have to introduce characters really late in the game too, right? And like, how do you keep that narratively? So sometimes reviving makes the most narrative sense too, in a lot of ways. Like, could they just trust and go on with some weird monochromatic hood-wearing freako? Who knows? Maybe they're loyal to their friend, maybe they're not. But all that I can say is that it, it gets a little bit more complicated when you do it on a podcast, I think, more than just sitting at your home game. Because I, I'm less excited about like, I just want to play the cool mechanics or like this class I haven't played before when it's like, we're making memories. But yeah, so he came back and uh, mom was there and mom was unpleasant, which is surprising given Vargas's sunny demeanor and, and overall <laughs> gregarious nature. Um, yeah, we could tell he got it from his dad. And well, what happened at the end of that episode, Drew? Uh, at the end of it, uh, he was told by her, hey, I have magical oracle powers. That's how I was able to find you. You already know that. And now the audience and your friends know it too. <laughs> so this seems like less of a uh, a poll than uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. I'm seeing that in the future, you're going to need my help. Come with me. I have these two burly uh, barbarians with me to drag you off if you say no. And uh, he basically had to make that decision. And he decided, you know what? He has been uh, kind of just going along with everything for a long time in his life at this point. And he wasn't going to do that anymore. He was going to say, nope. I'm going to stay here with my friends. We have something important we're doing. We're literally fighting some kind of evil god that's ruining this place. I live here. I'm not going to let this happen. I'm staying with the rest of the group. And he told her to get out. And that's the end of our story. Good night, everybody. No, but really, so that was our episode. And it was a touching end. And that brings us into the next one. 71, Chul Runnings, was uh, the party the next day uh, going back into the excavator. And um, they found their friend the Chul, who, as we discussed uh, last time on Machine Learning, was was a friend. Um, it was eating all those dead bodies that everybody left behind because it was a friend. But you guys killed it, even though it was a friend. It just wanted hugs, paralytic hugs and eating you hugs and we knew it was one of those Chekhov's jewels where you see it <laughs> earlier and you're like that's gonna be part of later and it was <laughs> but you know we mostly housed it I would say I, I don't think that we got that wasn't too much of a perilous fight as I remember I think it got some grapple on Kira which um, prolonged things but it, it couldn't do too much damage to the whole party yeah, it was more just kind of annoying than dangerous. I mean, that's a definite, I mean, that one, uh, obviously ghouls, anything that gets uh, gas, anything that's paralytic that's around like, what is it, like CR three up to six, <laughs> maybe in there. I'm not really sure where a tool lies, but like that can get awful for some of our characters. Primarily at this mm -hmm. time, just Brixby. I mean, I guess maybe Vargas had a, garbage fortitude save too possibly His did you you must have had con it was right? fairly decent because he had good con 
think he had like a 14 con. Yeah, I had a 14 con too, but my I'm pretty sure my fort save was like a three or a four at that point because wizard. So that could that could definitely have yeah. screwed us up pretty bad. I mean, like Asher and Kira can can make most fort saves thrown their way. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, Magus, even though they're a spellcaster, they're like a frontline spellcaster. They're not somebody that's hanging out in the back. Because mm -hmm. like the whole Brixby. thing with uh, <laughs> spell strike is you're up in the combat doing melee. So they have a decent fort. So we beat the Truel, ventured in a little bit further. There was some terrible radioactive water, question mark, that we didn't go into. Yeah, down in the Truel's um, nest. Yeah, we went down to... Like, we just kind of stared at it to see. We're like, well, the Chul's not in here anymore because it's dead on the stairs. So let's go <laughs> look and see if he had any, if he had like King Arthur's sword sitting in there or something. And I think there was nothing. There was just like trash and Chul poop. Like, there was nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you actually went in, um, even though this was recorded very recently. No, I think we just looked at it from the shore. Yeah. I think we threw a detect yeah. magic at it, if I remember correctly, um, just to like get a cursory look a deal. And then under the past the tool, we continued further down in the arena where we had stopped because of all of the death. I realized uh, I misspoke in our previous machine learning when I said we found Kolkara's journal and all the drawings. That was now. My notes weren't super clear. That was what we had. What I had read was from Nalakai. Uh, it was Nalakai's prayer book, which I think yeah. had the information you were referencing, but it wasn't Kolgara's journal. Oh, yeah. Understudy. Forgot about him. And Weird. Kolgara had, like, this whole binder of, like, battle plans and stuff, and, like, a, mm -hmm. a whole deal where she figured she was basically going to become the Black Sovereign kind of thing after um, the excavator, the giant machine. Is this when you first found what the excavator actually was this giant piece of construction equipment yeah i think we've been walking around inside it before but this is when we realized like oh this is a giant digger because <laughs> we finally saw it when we went down to look at the jewel we like looked back and we're like we weren't in a building we were in a machine mm -hmm. yeah we saw the digging end and then is this also the app that we jumped down and checked out the troll nest? i think that is that's bone chimes, F, that's bone chimes. Which is the next one. And the other thing that was here was he found the locked up Technic League spy. And before that, with not just battle plans, but this is the first time we hear that, hey, Hellion has a sister. And he was born of a god beyond the stars who, uh, who dwells in the Silver Mountain. Like, there's a lot. And we knew we, that's when we found out that Kolgara left Bonnet was going to deploy a force to Idenvay because that's where they think this unnamed sister is oh yeah that's the, the hook for the next book i believe also from the uh spy we learned that uh kevak cool isn't actually in charge of the uh technic league he's basically like a figurehead didn't we also learn that there's possibly a new head of the technic league from him yep. that there had been a change in in leadership yeah yep. like the league captain that was kind of the Osmond Zaidow. Yeah, was no longer in favor. Yeah, the one before was, uh, what's her name? Zernabeth the Winter no, Bido was the... No, it's a, we're, we're no, yeah, new Mid, it's a Beth or yeah. Zernabeth or something like that. Zernabeth, yeah, and she was from Erison. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's the yep. final boss of Reign of Winter. Mm-hmm. She was a white witch. Spoilers. She left to go be in another AP. <laughs> <laughs> she's just waiting to be friends with you. She is. And we're looking forward to meeting all of them down in... Wait, this wasn't... Was there any other... Was there any goofy malapropisms uh, said by said spy? Did, did you goof at all in this episode, know. Sam? I know this wasn't the Technics League episode, but I oh feel God, like any time that we ever talked to somebody for great no. lengths from the tech, no. No, was this was, the Texas no, League episode? Book one. Oh, okay. No, no that I was just earlier. Could not say Technic. Yeah, that okay. was way earlier. I learned how since yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, I have in my notes uh, that the Black Sovereign isn't in any state to give anybody orders these days. He's hopped up on the fluids out of his head. And then I wrote, he's a fluid druid, TM. <laughs> when are we getting those shirts? <laughs> and then uh, Asher showed people what was in his hat, and uh, it was just a bunch of hair. The end. Cheese. A note made of hair. <laughs> Canonically. Um, and who was that note to, Jeff? Nobody doesn't like her. That note was to Cassandra Lee. <laughs> And it said, The mountain holds no answers for you. Turn back now. Only death awaits you there. And it was some note he'd been carrying around that was handed down throughout his uh, order of sorts for centuries. So yeah, this was a huge lore dump episode. The Chul was just kind of the tentacled paralytic cherry on top of the sundae filled with information and hooks. Sounds like a pretty tasty treat, if you know what I'm talking about. So, can we jump on into Bone Chimes at this point? So in Bone Chimes, we had discovered that we were sort of in a machine, but I feel like it was really in Bone Chimes that we got a concept of the contour of the machine and like the giant spinny diggy end, right? As well as the hollow deck, which showed us some interesting stuff. I'm not looking at any notes. I'm just looking <laughs> off to the side of the screen right now. I believe that holodeck showed us a uh, like a schematic at that time for some sort of scary arachnoid situation. It was showing us a uh, prop you could buy from yeah. the uh, set of Wild Wild West. I believe. Rough Rider. Mm-hmm. Jim West, Desperado. <laughs> Rough Rider. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> So we're going straight to the Wild Wild West portion of this episode. So, no, uh, so yeah, we saw the um, an, an interesting kind of arachnoid sort of situation. What else did we see inside of this kind of hall of wonders before we emerged down? Well, someone had hung um, chimes made of bones from the arm of this enormous excavator hence the bone chimes in harmony. And yeah, there was the design of the strange arachnid robot, and there was the design of the overall excavator, so you get to see the sheer scale of the thing. Don't know if you're going for something else. Was that all the thing? No, no. That was, that's all I could think of. <laughs> Literally, yeah. And we really only saw those bone chimes as we started to descend down to the floor below and into the nasty troll nest that I had mentioned before. So then we got onto the ground there, and uh, we had a couple different options of, of leaving that chamber 
But we elected to go into one portion, and what was in that portion, Jero? Uh, I believe the portion we went into had a uh, four-armed character in it that was not a Kasatha. Yeah, you've <laughs> got to meet the, the blood ghost. was something we'd never seen before, and the second we saw it, uh, we realized it was bad. I personally realized it was bad because it walked up to us without any minions. Which is always a great sign in an RPG when uh, the enemy just shows up by themselves and is totally confident. Well, she tried to make a deal with you, I believe. Um, she wanted you to free her from her curse. Yes, she did. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe the party kind of huddled up to talk it over. Mm -hmm. And then... Well, first we did a... Uh lore checks on her that were very high. We got basically every bit of information about uh, Zills that we could from that. Uh, we did some history ones to learn about the Blood Ghosts in general. We did some uh, planes to learn about Zill and we know that we knew that they were uh, chaotic, evil uh, <laughs> lying liars that lie. So we, we kind of huddled up and had a discussion on whether or not it would be a good idea to help her and maybe get her to help us with the Hellion fight or whether we should... Uh, Murder. Well, uh, who wants to take over the discussion from here? Yeah. In the last ever <laughs> surprise round of Pot Against the Machine. Yeah, I liked when Sam was like, well, then I think you guys huddled up. Like, he doesn't play it over and over and over in his mind. Where we I decided, about this moment. <laughs> to, I mean, it is true. It is, it's a cautionary tale of the action economy and allowing your characters to plot. But yeah, we um, we made the decision that we were going to reward her lying and zilliness with murder, as as Jeff so eloquently put it. And um, murder we did. It took us like a round to put her in the ground. I believe. Well, I think Kira got a chainsaw quit, quit, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a chainsaw crit in the surprise round, like on a charge, and did like fifty damage. Yes, she did. And um, Zagmander never got a turn. Yes. It's kind of embarrassing for you, but uh, yeah. it was great for yeah. us. Yeah. And you, you took it super well, and it had no yeah. weight on the story you told later. Yeah, nothing was affected in the future. There were no changes made to any plans. Wasn't bitter about losing probably the coolest monster in the book. You know, four arms and sorcerer levels, no big. Good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, she was a sorcerer? Her caster level was pretty low, though, because she had four arms. Yeah, because you have zill levels, yeah. That's always one of the bad things about... Any kind you have an AP where the enemies are like a monstrous ancestry is because those racial levels, to, like they need to. I almost kind of wish that the uh, writers would just make them just uh, alt characters so that they had like it's like okay you have six levels in Frost Giant and six levels in I don't know Barbarian instead of like you have six levels yeah. in Frost Giant and one level in Barbarian for this level seven character. <laughs> And you get no good stuff from the barbarian level. Yeah, so, uh, well, we made some orphans, as the very orphan-making four did at that time very well. And 
we continued our explorations high on our recent victory and murder right in to the following episode after that one that was oh man what's the name of that next episode folks that would be i never quit i never quit that's a zachism <laughs> right there yeah um too legit to crit too legit to quit we met a guy in this episode it's probably a bad way to start this episode. So we were kicking it off on this episode pretty high on the combat that we had in the previous app. First, let's just put this aside. Very thankful for everyone bearing with me, uh, who has been forced to host this episode immediately after his 11-hour workday and had no time to prepare. So thank you, everybody, for bearing with me while I do this. So, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> right after we had finished that, uh, that combat, we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. I believe that we, we thought we were quite capable, in fact. So we, we pushed further under the arena. And, uh, well, not a whole lot happened in this episode, did it, Sam? Um, well, a lot more stuff could have happened. <laughs> I believe a, a pretty high perception roll from Kira... Stopped you all from walking into some nasty traps. She is the party rogue, after all. Well, um, they were magical traps, so Brixby couldn't disarm them. <laughs> uh, so you just had to go around. <laughs> but Kira at least noticed that they were there. Um, they were going to explode on you pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it was explosive runes, right? I prepared explosive yeah. runes today. Order of the stick reference. I couldn't work it in there well, so I just had to say it. There was also some graffiti on the wall from Mayanda, uh, just drawings of like a, a demon attacking a mountain that had a bigger demon inside. Just your normal, like, happy person stuff. And then, in the other room, there was Hellion. There was Hellion and a couple little minion robots. And surprise, surprise, uh, Hellion, despite uh, what he kept uh, saying, was not a uh, giant flaming... Uh, Shutterstock demon, he was a robot. Yeah, it turns out he did have feet. Several feet, because he was a scorpion robot. You didn't have to pay extra in money to see those feet, but maybe you would have to pay with your <laughs> lives, as he shot a plasma beam out of his tail. That wasn't the only beam that was shot. Um, let's see. Bricksbow, I know, cast a lightning bolt for the first time. Um, after pulling that out of Marrow's book in the old Smiler, Smiler Village, that, that bad boy hit old Heckian pretty hard, but that wasn't enough to round it off. Uh, I believe, was it, was it Asher that killed? Wasn't it, did you just pump him full of lead? Like, I'm trying to remember who killed Hellion. I think Giant Kira got a couple of hits in too. I know Vargas spent most of the episode fighting ads and missing. <laughs> I wonder, I feel like I would have written that in my notes if I got the kill. I think Brixby got the kill in mm. a subsequent round. That might have been the case. Yeah, Asher definitely hit him a few times because he was kind of one of the only ones who, like, he was not in a great spot for the melee. Like, Kira was able to get to him between her thighs and stuff. Uh, Vargas got waylaid against the other robots, and then the, the two blasters were able to kind of hit him from the back. This is yeah. one... Uh, that I'll never forget because Asher had prepared a spell that was finally used for the first time, <laughs> Hero's Defiance, when he got 
hit, but then as he begins to lose consciousness, he gets to lay on hands himself, pop back into the fight, and mm-hmm. that was a, that was a really cool moment for me. Uh, but I don't think Asher got the kill. I feel like it was Brixby oh, with a scorching yeah. doodle. It wasn't the lightning bolt. The lightning bolt was early on and did a lot of damage because he had that electricity vulnerability. But then there was like chainsaw edge and there was shooting. And... It's a real manticore situation. No, <laughs> Asher didn't by any means do the most damage, but it was fun. That was it was quite a a boss fight. Wasn't that also like a big mobility episode for Asher? Didn't you? Because Jarrell was talking about this a little bit. Didn't you get like boxed out a couple times? So you either had to like jump or do something to get to a place to. I feel like the the room that we were fighting in bears mentioning because it was on multiple levels. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that. Yeah, well, because it was like a double layered. There was the trellis that we had to walk in on, and then he was like on the ground that was below it. Yeah, it was it was kind of like coming in on like an elevated uh, like train trestle or something, right? And then like below that was the floor. So we had these additional. I mean, it was it was a pretty effective way of using like a, a boss layer an environment to separate out a party that was at that time we were actually pretty we were singing in our in our kind of party uh comp at that point i felt like we really had a good thing going then so i feel like that was one of those episodes that split us and scattered us a little bit in that fight and we were struggling to do a decent amount of damage but i think that also affected hellion because i don't think hellion got any of us with any particularly big hits um did he uh except for maybe asher well yeah i guess that It was a f- it was several hits from him because he had mythic abilities to just keep blasting us with plasma and Asher would have been in better shape if this player had remembered to ask about what plasma translated to as far as resistances is concerned but it all ended up okay in the end. Yeah, he had um the one real big mythic ability that he had was double initiative. Like he got two turns every round. And I think the main thing he was using was his plasma beam because it was range touch and he was just like rapid shotting it uh, for three shots of 2d6 plus two plasma. I don't think he ever got to grab and constrict, uh, which would have been nice. And I never had a a need to do any mythic surges because he was hit and touch. So he never missed. It's just a big beefy boy who had a lot of HP, but you guys did a ton of damage very fast so he didn't get a ton of turns to to lay stuff out really oh and he'd exploded (laughs) yeah i was gonna say he he did get his revenge (laughs) in the death throes (laughs) for sure that 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 certainly uh thwacked us all mightily um because i was gonna say that was the that was the the boss battle where i was like oh that went a little easier than expected i believe i might have even said those words and then you're like Hold up. <laughs> Death throws. Because yeah. I remember we were worried that Brixby might actually die from that because you didn't have a super lot of health left. Oh, yeah. And you had a fairly low con. Yep. Always worried about Brixby nearly permadying because he's a rat who's also a wizard who finds himself in battle a lot. But, yeah. So, I mean, here we are. End of book two. Or near, I mean, we're not actually ending book two, but I'm saying like, we beat the boss of book two. And uh, I'll ask Sam first, 
How did you think that battle was going to go versus how it went? I mean, I didn't have a, a lot of expectations coming in. Like, I knew that you were all doing tons of damage um, as it was. Um, so I figured uh, that probably you could get by the fact that he had Hardness 10. Like, Kira had the um, adamantine sword and Vargas had a adamantine arm and Asher had adamantine bullets. So you had ways around the Hardness, uh, which is a big deal because, I mean, you're at the end of book two fighting something with hardness 10 and 120 hit points and that's that's a big beefy boy now his minions were basically nothing they were just they were just there to draw attention basically they they clogged up some lanes and basically drew vargas's attention which made it a three on one instead of a four on one but i didn't think that there was really much of a chance that you would lose the fight or like really lose anybody in it because as much as he was a, a big beefy boy and he did have the two turns his spell like abilities you'd already seen and they really weren't doing much of anything to anybody and beyond that he just had a couple different attacks i think that like if he had grabbed kira and gotten her in the in a constrict situation where she was just mm -hmm. stuck then stuff might have gotten rough in a hurry but he didn't do too much melee. And also, if Blood Ghost had been like an actual fight, like I'm assuming you were expecting it to be. Yeah. Like that would have, we would have been a lot worse off after fighting her. Yeah, we had a lot of our resources at that point. We had a surprising amount of our daily resources going yeah. into that fight. So yeah, I guess you started to answer, Jero, so I'll ask you and then, then Jeff. What did so we had been teased Hellion a couple times, like you had mentioned. We'd seen the, the kind of like eye stock photo demon. We've talked to him. He even tried to present a composite <laughs> of us at one point. <laughs> like we had a good idea of what it was that uh, we were sort of facing, but I think we were all pretty. Uh, well, I, I don't. I don't want to leave the question. How did you think the VC four was going to do against Hellion versus how the battle went? Uh, I expected it to be a harder fight than it ended up being mainly just because like he was the book boss so i figured like you know what it's the book boss it's gonna be tough and we had other tough fights like even though we took zagmander down the round it was obvious that she was tough like just from what we knew about her both like meta wise and in character wise like clearly this is a tough thing and I personally was thinking like, well, if the game is, or at least the GM is going like, hey, maybe you can recruit this person to help you in the fight. That made me think like, this is probably not going to be an easy fight. I was honestly expecting it to be quite a bit harder than it ended up being. And I think part of it, like you said, was just, we really, we weren't down much health at all. Like a couple of us had gotten a little beat up with the Chul. Nobody got a single hit from Zagmander. We still had most of our spells, most of our spell-like abilities. Uh, we had, I, we didn't really use any items, but we had them if we needed them. And I think part of that, like the mindset of that, knowing you have that stuff available, even if you don't end up using it, changes the way you play. You go in more aggressive. I feel like if we had spent four or five rounds fighting Zagmander and had to heal up and had used up spells and stuff, we would be probably more cautious in that fight. And it would lead to us 
getting beat up more because he had mythic turns, so he could attack twice in a round. He had his adds could have maybe done a little more. Like I think part of it was just because we went in so fresh, we were more aggressive than we would have been otherwise, and we were able to kind of steamroll him. Yeah, I think that's that is a good point. And same question to you, Jeff. Uh, how did you feel it was going to go versus how it went? Yeah, I I don't feel like it was a cakewalk for sure. You know, in part because my character nearly died, uh, but. <laughs> I guess I didn't really have a good idea of what to expect. I mean, we saw the the drawing of like, oh great, we're gonna fight a giant scorpion. But what that actually translated to, you know, I didn't know he was gonna have a, like a tail laser, which would have been really cool, but no, Sam didn't let Asher take it and use it as a weapon. <laughs> uh, guy never gets any guns and he was so excited, but... <laughs> But yeah, I think the fact that we we made it out alive, even after the death throes, I mean, it was tense, but I felt I felt like it was a reasonably difficult fight. You know, it didn't feel like I I felt more concerned with the Mayanda fight than I did with the Hellion fight just at the time. But also by this point, we were able to like enlarge and didn't have to feel like there's that ladder choke point you know we have all these ranged spells and not just like an acid splash so we were a lot better equipped for it but it was still i felt like this is an appropriately difficult boss fight yeah and i'll even piggyback off of that i think one of the reasons why that one went better than you know some of our combats versus hellscark <laughs> for example <laughs> is that we were like we learned a lesson what was it episode like 12 10 about fighting robots how we bought like i i'd love to know how quickly we entered into the adamantine game versus other iron gods parties because we just like left we're like nope <laughs> screw that we're, we are going to make sure that like half of this party if not three quarters of this party can do direct physical damage that surpasses hardness because i mean that really can't be understated 120 hit points split between four characters especially with the damage that we're doing is one thing for sure add in mythic turns that definitely upsets a bit of the of the action economy which is cool but man yeah i mean if we were losing 10 every mm -hmm. time off the top over and over iterative attacks from asher or like anything else like that i mean or kira's like big chainsaw hits that would have seriously mm. changed the outcome too like i mean that that can't be understated we were pretty specialized at that point for fighting things things of metal with hardness for sure so i think that that maybe that would have been a bit more of a difficult fight if we were more of a well-rounded party because i felt like we were we specialized we're good at other stuff but we specialized pretty quickly like unabashedly so and i think that worked to our benefit for sure but yeah, it was it was a good feeling. The explosion was exciting. <laughs> Death throws are like such a... I mean, I've never lost a character to Death throws, but I've gotten really close multiple times. And it, it's certainly an interesting feeling when you've won the battle but like lost the war <laughs> kind of feeling in that way. So um, good one getting us there. Anything else anyone has to say about Hellion's Chamber? Yeah, the... The one thought that I had going into it was, oh boy, it's a good thing we found this 
item word that I can't think of right now. This artifact. Oh, the... Uh... Yeah, it's like, we are going to need this because otherwise... Oh, the dongle. He is going, Hellion is going to be an impossible fight, and this is going to bring it down to manageable. And then, I don't I don't know, and, and maybe, maybe it's beyond the scope of even a machine learning, but what was somebody supposed to do? Sneak there invisible and then, like, stick this in his receptacle? Uh, no, in the uh, computer room, which was the first room that you went into um, before Vargas died, there were a bunch of computers there, and they basically they had USB slots that you could plug that into, which would uh, jack down everything Hellion could do, but you all failed your engineering checks. Yeah, and weird. Doesn't sound like Didn't us. we also <clears throat> find, like, a weapon that was, like, purpose-built to fight him and then never use it? Wasn't there like that like dead space thing that we found? I mean, there was the torch. It's like a little like a drill or something, like a yeah, the torch like that was like specifically made to like cut through adamantine spider legs or something. <laughs> yeah, there was that, but that that thing's not actually that good of a weapon. That was um, Zagmander's. No, but I mean the description of it, like that, and then looking at him, it's like okay, this was made to kill the. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a plasma cutter. It was a. Like, I think we didn't use it because it sounded like you had to be, like, within melee range and you had to hold it up against him and use energy. And Yeah, it was like a piece of um, construction equipment, basically, being used as a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, it said it was, like, made Which, for, like, cutting girders or something. It would have been gratifying <laughs> having had a character literally murdered with, like, a piece of pipe to then come back and murder the boss with a blowtorch. <laughs> but, alas didn't happen <laughs> yeah yeah because vargas is definitely the kind of guy who would use a blowtorch he loves technology <laughs> so yeah there was um those uh that that massive boss battle happened your heroes survived and that brings us to tattered faces battered places so you know we uh, we had killed the blood ghost at this point zagmander um and it it was more of a like blood poof. Like it was, it was, there was nothing to it. They were there, they were gone. Uh, we couldn't really see how this was a deific entity by any means to any group of people. But then we met the Caligni. You might know them as the Dark Creepers and the Dark Stalkers. In Dark Slayers, and that's the, the, the one I couldn't remember. Into every generation, <laughs> a slayer is born. <laughs> and into every dark generation, a Dark Slayer is born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my whole contribution for the episode. Yeah. They were pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I love the Caligni. I know they're stinky little weirdos that hang out in the dark, but man, they are some of the most interesting in terms of like low-level kind of races that we've interacted with or heritages that we've interacted with. Um it was I liked it. What was the what was the lead tall lady's name? Tatterface. Tatterface. Tatterface, of course, Lady Tatterface. Of course, tattered faces. <laughs> or as uh, Brixby places. called her, Lady Taterface. <laughs> Lady Taterface. Uh, yeah, so old Potato Face uh, did talk to us a bit, and um, she was a little bummed that we killed Zagmander. Yeah. Just a little. Well, it was kind of a mixed blessing for her, because, you know, what she wanted mm -hmm. was her god to be free of the material plane. And her god was free, just, you know, not really in the normal 
way more of the sort of she's off to live on a farm, an astral farm <laughs> sort of way. <laughs> if she wanted to be off the plane, we took her off the plane. She went to go meet Farazma on her plane. <laughs> we got some information from these dark verbers of all different types. What what was some of that information, Jeff? Literally no notes for episodes 75 <laughs> and 76. Notes. Just my copy pasta <laughs> of all of my inventory to keep track of. Uh, what was that information, Sam? Um, well, the main thing I can remember other than talking about sort of how they had their deal with um, Zagmander, not with Hellion, so they you know, didn't have any beef with you and um, they weren't interested in leaving or starting any trouble with anybody but they uh, basically as a gift to all of you as a means of saying don't kill us please uh, they gave you a weird customized tracking device that they said Hellion's people hadn't been interested in but that had recently started flashing a light showing that there was something uh, a couple hundred miles away that was like putting out a homing signal that I'm sure is not going to be important ever. It's true. So we left it down there. Yeah, and smashed it. we went it. back to Torch. Yep. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have, couldn't mm-hmm. let anyone else have it. So uh, we got that tracking device. We figured it was kind of interesting that it wasn't of note to Hellion or his folks. I thought that that was something mm-hmm. that really kind of stayed with Bricks after that, which was just like, you know, like Hellion was like, Sam decided to play Hellion as kind of a doof because that's, I mean, that's just kind of what we unfortunately force Sam to do with a lot of his characters because we approach them as doofs ourselves, or at least some of us as doofs, myself included. And so, but at the same time, Hellion was obsessed with this singular task in many ways, right? I mean, I guess there was also the other thing that was going on that the Lords of Frost were doing, but like pretty focused on this one thing and it just seemed kind of like huh this suspicious tracking device perhaps tracking the thing that i'm looking for no i'm just gonna brood down here with all my legs i believe is probably how it went but i mean i'm kind of interested in hearing that if you don't mind pulling back the curtain a little bit do you have any idea of why you think they might have um not been interested in the device sim well, there's a, a couple things uh, going on here. One being the device wasn't showing anything before. Uh, it wasn't until the recent storm that the thing started flashing. So it might have been that they gave up on it before they ever saw the signal. But the um, other possibility is that they had some reason to believe that that wasn't Cassandra Lee that it was tracking or they'd made some decision about what it was tracking and decided it wasn't useful to them. But yet, Hellion definitely was only thinking about finding his dear big sister, Cassandra Lee, as an ally to um, serve in his army for his greater goal, which would be, of course, destroying the source, whatever that source is. That lives under a certain mountain named after the color of the mountain. Probably a Balrog. Could be a Balrog. Yeah. Could be Balrog from Street Fighter. That was another interesting thing about, like, finally seeing Hellion in person, because we had a lot of ideas. Like, obviously, there was the most obvious one, which ended up being the true one, which is he's some kind of AI. But then there was also, like, 
well, maybe he is some kind of demon, or maybe he's a mix of the two, maybe he's a cyborg, maybe he's this, that, the other. And it was kind of interesting finally getting that 100% down that, okay, he's an AI who built himself a robot body. Yeah, I thought it was like the personality inhibitor module or whatever that thing was called that really tipped it for me. Because like we had, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd guessed a couple times, but that was like the first bit of sort of like tech that by the contour of what it is defined the contour of what he was you know (laughs) yeah like if this works on him then clearly he has to be an artificial like otherwise this wouldn't make sense for this to be something we can use which like is okay (laughs) sorry for this this very like let me just take this in 90 degrees towards a philosophical question but like of course we have plenty of conversations about ai all the time in the meat space but like, is in a world of magic and spontaneous generation and, and reincarnation and anything else like, I mean, yes, this is technology from beyond the stars, but like when all of that is explained, is an AI that wacky to our characters in game, given everything else you kind of make your peace with in Galarian? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, I assume like as far as like Vargas is concerned, he was basically like some type of like golem. This is a thing that was given life that's mechanical and it has a conscious like you see that all the time with like somebody that points their finger at a rock and is a 15th level cat and like makes like, hey, flesh to stone and also whatever the one is that lets it actually like move around and do stuff, which I can't remember. I think that's like the mythic version of it, like actually gives them sentience. It's. Or stone to flesh, I mean, not flesh to stone. Uh, that happens all the time. Like it, like you said, it's achieved through a different means than usual, but it's still, like, that's pretty much like, there's just like, okay, he's a construct that has his own thoughts, so he's a higher level one <laughs> type thing. Like, is pretty much, I think, what would be going through that, that my character's mind is, like, I don't know how exactly this is created, but I've seen things like this before. I know what it is. Yeah, I think Asher, you know, we've, we've encountered Gearsman at this point. We've encountered Meanda. Asher wouldn't be like, that's ah, a robot. AI, kill it. It was more, hey, you're trying to demand worship and also threatening to destroy the world if we don't bow down to you. That's not cool, bro. But the actual concept. I think would have just been would have been more it would have been fascinating to study and try and talk to and and learn more about if you know he wasn't so singularly focused on achieving his goals at the expense of all other life. No, agreed, one hundred percent. And I mean, I think it's it's interesting because I would agree. Like, I would say that something popping up on this plane. You know, in a world where we don't have Roko's basilisk theory, right? Where we're not like worried about some coming AI that is also going to be malevolent and all powerful. I mean, we're, we're literally due geographical south from a bunch of extraplanar demons showing up and saying, hey, what's up? Discari, you're going to worship me. That's how it goes. So, like, I mean, that's kind of like a template that we're used to dealing with at that point, right? So, I think that there's something that's very interesting. This is one of those few moments that where you encounter it in this world, it's almost a little less magical (laughs) just by the respect of everything else being Mm -hmm. as fantastical as it is. This just kind of gets slotted, at least for bricks, probably in the same way as any other extra dimensional baddie or like anything else, right? So like you're not 
from here you intend to to rule here something's awry but yeah i i I think that it's it's definitely an interesting I'm, i'm really excited to see how sam interacts if ai is like a constant right because we still no spoilers but there's no definitive this is the ai book this is the the whatever book or this is the whole like uh ap it's a vibe so like mm-hmm. we don't really know if like ai yeah we know of one possible ai that's still at mm-hmm. which is his right. sister and we know something created him, but we don't know if thing created him was AI or if it was an Androphin or what it, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think it's an interesting thing because the insidiousness and the almost like, maybe not even the insidiousness of it, but the, the aspect of AI where it is self-maintaining, self-replicating and even growing, right? Is not that terrifying of a concept in a general sense. When we just dealt with a Zill, which literally did most of that biologically, right? So I think it's 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 just an interesting thing because granted, the idea of killer AI robots is super high up there for Zach the player. Probably other people interact with tech to a degree, maybe have that same feeling of something that would horrify me, but like in, in the grand scheme of things. So I'm interested to see how Sam plays with this more because I think that it's, it's I mean, well, it's one, it's a very Numerian flavor. Right. So it's like you, this is really the VAP that you're going to run with this concept if it pops up again. But also, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, in, in normal sword and sorcery stuff, this is outside of very specific uh, cultural wells that we've talked about drawing on before. Some of the early weird magic stuff and things like this that did tie in technology. This isn't something that's super, this, this isn't a broad palette. So I, I'm, it's been really cool to see you play with it, Sam, I guess is what I'm getting at. This is a big circuitous compliment um, and that you've done a great job with it because I think it's really hard to distinguish how weird and insidious AI can be in a world filled with extra planar multi-armed <laughs> zills and, and demons and everything else that, that exists. So. I don't want to let it pass by that when you said it's a very Numerian flavor because insidious AI is in fact <laughs> one of the most mm-hmm. underrated GooTube flavors that you can mm-hmm. find. Ice cold insidious AI. <laughs> Just be sure to check your hands before and after consumption. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was a that was thank you for um, entertaining that slight philosophical and, and general uh, kind of question about uh, dealing with AI inside the fantasy world. So yeah, we, the Caligny gave us this tracking device and we scooted out and went back to the Clockwork Chapel, I believe, shortly thereafter. I think the only thing left in book two or you know what we're officially calling book two is the one more night market mm-hmm. where, yeah, um, where we, you have finally got to sell some of your stuff mm-hmm. and also um, revisit with such fan favorites as Drooly Julie. Yeah. Reintroduce the the Caligny to the surface world and yeah we Heath came in made another reappearance we kind (laughs) of gathered together everybody that we hadn't yet killed and told them you guys now need to form a coalition government good good luck (laughs) (laughs) just leaving a (laughs) non-murderocracy all of you that have lived now constitute all of the government in this land this is highlander rules you all have the combined power of everyone who's dead 
We're leaving with all their stuff, though. Uh, we did try a little bit of nation building in that moment. I do believe there was a moment where we asked everybody to like come and take a knee and discuss, much like has happened across the, the geopolitical sandbox over the past hundred years. Yeah, I believe we attempted fairly forcefully to make Clarence the uh, God Emperor of Scrap yep, Wall. We did. I believe we did. Yeah, we tried to push uh, old Bird Puncher in all of his uh, glistening glory towards his well, his future in, in public relations. And, you know, maybe the words words hit his avian-hating heart. We don't really know. I'm, I'm pretty sure book four is the political intrigue book, so we'll get back into it uh, if, Sam, if Sam has told us anything. I'm sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to Taldor, <laughs> and it's all it's a whole weird thing. Did we kind of tie a bow on anything else in town? Uh, I feel like, did Kira get any additional information at this point? Or did she get all the information kind of about her mom and the fighting ring and everything else way before this? There was no other. So I felt like we... No, there was stuff from from Tatterface. Okay, yeah. It was from Tatterface that she got that from. Because I remembered it was in the last, like, ep or two that Kira had kind of ringed some stuff out. So... Sorry, folks. I, I know up to this point it's been an incredibly structured machine learning with your own sack. <laughs> but uh, we did, in fact, miss uh, an important part in uh, the Tattered Faces, Battered Places app where Kira, our friend who, um, you know, their, their driver, Izzy, is not here right now, got some pretty interesting information about her family. Yeah, I mean, she found out that um, years back, we don't know exactly how long, but, you know, quite some time. Uh, there was a red-haired human who used to bring groups of fighters to fight in the Scrapmasters arena. This was long before Hellion. And one such person that she brought was full-blooded orc who looked a lot like Kira. The sort of red skin tone and the tattoos and the red hair, but not the human half. And um, she was... By all accounts, a good fighter. We don't really know much of anything about her. We just know that she was around more than 10 years ago, but we don't know exactly how much. And that's the first real sighting of Kira's mother that we've heard of. Well, having Kolgara, and this is going back to a previous machine learning, but Kolgara had kind of like obliquely mentioned it. Like she didn't give us any good info, but she did kind of hint at it a little that Kira's mom may have been a gladiator. Yeah, he dropped yeah. a tasty teaser in there right around the episode where we <laughs> killed the Dippin' Dots guy. It was it was right about that time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a, a high point of Brixby's time, at least inside. Uh, those those very cold, tiny dots made his front teeth hurt a good deal. So, but so was that really? Granted, you know, not to get too meta, but at the end of every book, it's kind of a launch pad into book two. Right, we're we're tying the knots, but we're also jumping into the the next. So we'd gotten our little uh, kind of radar scanning device, and we'd seen that dot was west southwest. Um, yeah, a little bit south, mostly west. So that putting us kind of somewhere in lower central Numeria at this point, if we were to follow that, as we were previously kind of in the northwestern area northeastern area near Chesed question mark 
I'm doing a terrible job with remembering Numeria. <laughs> uh, kind of. Chesed is, is definitely a ways further north, but yeah, we were over. Scrapwall is pretty close to Chitterholm. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not a place that has any personal relevance to me at all. So Chesed it is, right? Yeah, no. Next to Chitterholm, <laughs> where Brixby's from, which is also on the the Selen and the Selen goes down that way, and the Seven Tears goes yeah. across the bottom. Okay, yeah. Could very easily pull up a map of this invisible fantasy world <laughs> and probably <laughs> speak at it at some authority, but it's a little bit better when I just end everything with a question, um, right? So we had that to go on. We had our little boop boop. We had a dot. We had a general cardinal direction to head in and um, a man, a plan, and a canal. We didn't have any of those things, but we did, in fact, have a drive and desire to head into book three. Just as many gross jokes about goopy liquids as we did in book one and two. So that was good. But now with that recap recapped, it's time for us to move on to the questions that you seek the answers from. You, scrapper, listener, avid devotee of the show. And we'll be right back. Are you a tabletop gamer who's ready to try something new? Then join the rest of the TTRPG community for Beginner Box Days! From April 22nd to 30th, D&D or completely new players to tabletop roleplay games can try out the Pathfinder 2e Beginner Box with experienced game masters. To find a game that works for you, go to beginpf2.com. You'll be able to find all the information you need to join and play or even be a noble game master. So join the Pathfinder adventure on Beginner Box Days, April 22nd to 30th at beginpf2.com. Hey there, friends. It's your buddy Old Greasy reporting from an undisclosed location. That's right, I'm not dead. I'm not dead at all. And I'd like to take this moment to thank some of the supporters of Network Against the Machine who are keeping the dream of a society run by Sandville Trent alive. Sorry, kind of zoned out for a second there. Anyways, thank you to the following supporters of Pod Against the Machine. J-Rod, Tim, Z-Mist, Feral Dark, Clessy, Jeremy Deering, Mark Wiggins, Sean McDee, Bellandora, and Yair Goldberg. Thanks all of you for your support. You're secretly keeping me alive in a bunker to get my revenge on the very capable four. Or maybe just like eat some goo tubes and hang out. I haven't really decided yet. All right, everyone, and thank you so much for staying with us for a little portion of the show that we like to call Questions and Answers. We probably have a better and catchier and much wordier name for it, but that's the only one I could come up with right now, which is why I don't write the intros. So oh, that's the name, though. You just named it. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody write that down. <laughs> Yes, but append the that's the name you just named it on the end. And then it's definitely <laughs> yeah. brand appropriate. Yeah. 
make sure you also got that five second silence in there too. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the very end, we do the drop that I have saved of uh, Jeff singing its listener mail. And then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to do this round robin style. And that means we are going to ask a question, then pass it off to my virtual right, which is an arbitrary direction that I just chose. So we're going to start with might be Sam. And this is a question that was asked just a couple days ago. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? And is it more or less than Kira can chuck? I, I know it might be gauche to, to take the mic right after asking the question, but I, I have an answer to this one. Uh, Richard Thomas, in the year of 1988, who was a fish and wildlife scientist from the lovely state of New York, I believe, Sam's stomping grounds, estimated the volume of the dirt moved in a woodchuck burrow to approximate that a woodchuck could move about six, sorry, 700 pounds or 320 kilograms for those across the pond on a good day with the wind at their back. So that's my answer and I'm sticking to it. It's a lot of wood. But is that more or less than Kira could chuck? I'll leave that up day. to you now that we've empirically discovered <laughs> how much wood has been chucked by the woodchuck. Well, I don't have Kira's character sheet in front of me, but I would imagine... Neither does Izzy. What? What? The same chuck. No, you can't that out. I said neither does Izzy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good joke. Um, I don't have any sandwich labels here, um, but... <laughs> I'd imagine that Kira's lift overhead is multiple hundreds of pounds, so I do think that given a day, she could displace more than any single woodchuck, even if that woodchuck has a rage feature. What if it's a dire wood? What if it's woodchuck Norris? Fair point. And what if she's chucking the woodchucks that are chucking wood, and it's just an exponential... I mean, could a woodchuck then theoretically weighing far less than 700 pounds themselves also be chucking woodchucks that are chucking their own wood? I think at some point in this conversation, we owe Terry Pratchett money. <laughs> <laughs> well, if a woodchuck had a woodchuck nunchuck, not to be confused with gopher chucks from the famous um, Bob, I'm no, Steve fist. Odenkirk movie, Kung Pao Enter the Fits. Yeah. Um <laughs> I didn't have any finish. I just wanted to say woodchuck chucks, and then I remembered gopher chucks as I was saying. That was all I had. So I'm done speaking now for the episode. And thank you to our sponsor, Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Which I, I will interject as equally relevant as anything we've answered to this question. Uh, minus Zach's scientific answer. Something I enjoy about the Kung Pao DVD, and for our younger listeners, a DVD is like a plastic disc that has a movie on it you have to put it in something like a dvd player but in the streaming world you'd, you'd never know but they had the the actual audio track of what they were saying not what was you know not the dubbed over <laughs> version so all just oh, the nonsense nice. they were they were saying <laughs> and a lot of it's not entertaining but there are a few things that were just delightful and i love that they actually included that because like why not yeah mm-hmm I think 16-year-old Sam highly recommends Kung Pao Enter the Fist. I love Jeff explaining a DVD. It's like the <laughs> ghost of a movie haunts a tiny, shiny frisbee, and you have to exercise it. You have to pull it out. You shoot it with lasers. Yeah, if you've ever hung out in our Discord, 
and sat through me watching a movie I like that nobody else wants to watch. More often than not, that was from a DVD rented from a library. Rented? Like on Amazon? through the DVD player that I had to pay money to put into my computer because they don't come with them anymore. <laughs> I still have a VCR in the room behind me, so. Proud of you. Well, it's a VCR DVD combo. I had one until this house. This is the first house I've lived in that I didn't have a VCR. All right, let's put these questions back on the answer rails. <laughs> I thought I handled that pretty well. All right, so Jerome. So this one uh, from uh, Mashinani Gun. You get to stock a vending machine in Numeria. What do you put in it? And I guess I'll answer this in and out of character. Out of character... Probably Mountain Dew Zero and Wonderful Pistachios, the pre-shelled ones. You don't have to break your fingers into pieces on trying to peel the shells off them. And in character, I think Vargas would probably... Well, he would probably burn a vending machine if he saw one, to be honest. (laughs) But the hypothetical idea of a vending machine, I think he would probably put in like some type of non-perishable food probably a gutu now that he's seen those and he thinks those are the most amazing things ever uh, food that you can just carry around for months at a time and it doesn't go bad and uh jeff what would you stock your numerian vending machine with i mean any character obviously gutubes just just so so many different <laughs> flavors of gutubes and maybe not you know the same flavor in the same slot you just don't even know you know what's in front Maybe. I don't know. Could all be mystery Gutubes. A Guchapon. Oh, you gotta have all the labels turned backwards. That'd be ideal. (laughs) Out of character? (sighs) Probably because I enjoy them. Just different flavors of caffeinated sparkling water. Because I am just elite like that. They make caffeinated (laughs) sparkling water? Oh, yeah. Bubbly and Aha are uh, the two that I see the most. Not all of them, though. You gotta look for bubbly bounce. Uh, the best one, uh, multiple slots for the aha, uh-huh, white white tea and Fuji apple. You can get caffeine powder and caffeinate anything. Sure. Water, coffee, mid-morning depression. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both of those are good ideas. <laughs> I guess because I talked out of turn, I get to go next. In character, Brixby, seeing that everyone else would choose GooTubes, maybe would make his... I mean, is there any competition? Is it like a GooTube monopoly? Like, do we have a, a different... You know what? Gumeria tubes. Like tubes that really <laughs> like root, like proud to be a Numerian. And like that, but that is the, the whole vibe. So it's got like the Numerian flag on it, which I can't describe to any degree. <laughs> and uh, a lot of it is just like the Selen cinnamon slam and the <laughs> starfall. The Numerian flag is just a like a silhouette of Kevin Cool punching a robot in the face. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) So out of character, I guess we're like putting stuff in we like. But first, I would do a little fan service to Numeria because, like, I think the most futuristic thing I've ever consumed is still orbits from the nineties. If anybody remembers these, I would find whatever weirdo filled their like you know fallout shelter with that and like heist them in a lovable rakish way. And then I would stock all of the vending machines of Numeria with those. And um, I guess since we're talking about stuff we like, oh man, I can't get enough of like those disgusting fried Thai bird chilies from Trader Joe's, even though my insides revolt every time (laughs) I consume them. All right, that leaves you, my friend. 
Well, I think in character, I would go with, you know, you got to have your obligatory goo tubes, but then on the next row down, you have chunk tubes, the sort of Numerian knockoff, uh, very beat forward. Now, which character are you being in character as for this? Uh, the character of Numeria, the nation itself. <laughs> Wait, I created Numeria tubes. How can you steal nationalism from me? It's fine. Continue to speak on behalf of Numeria. And and then the bottom row um, is just a bunch of open space where there are live chickens running around. That's, of course, sponsored by Charlie the Lizard Folk. And you can put in your money and the flap will open up. A chicken might not come out. It really depends on their mood. So it's like a real vending machine. I really wanted there to be like a claw machine. You'd have to try and get it to go down and grab the chicken as it closes just the right time. Oh, no. How hard is that? Oh, no. Not in like a injure the chicken way. Like, you know, it would be padded. It's more of the like, how, how likely are you to succeed? Just throwing dollar after dollar trying to catch a chicken with a mechanical claw. Well, the problem is if you do succeed, you have like a Legend of Zelda Link to the Past situation where all of the chickens just start coming and you got to run into a building before they kill you. I'm Kuko for Charlie the Lizard folks. <laughs> um, as far as out of character goes, I'd probably just make sure that there was some checks mix in there. I mean, now that the bagel chip is back, I think we're at a yes. peak time for checks mix. Did they remove bagel chips from the pre-made checks oh, mix yeah. at some point? Yeah. <laughs> they oh, were gone for years. years. There were no bagel chips. Well, I didn't know that because back. I make my own Chex Mix. Well, you don't always have time to make your own Chex Mix. We got kids. Yeah, I, lo- I love their renaissance <laughs> after like being trounced by Gardettos in like the 90s and 2000s. I feel like it was a real comeback kid story. Maybe that's just the narrative I impose on Snack It's just big Snack Mix, man. They've, they've got in your <laughs> ear. <laughs> I'd like to thank my personal sponsor today, Chex Mix. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we all know that Izzy's answer is peanut butter M&M's. Mm-hmm. Mm, PB M&M's good. All right, who's two Jero's right for question three? Uh, that would be you, Sam. Oh, man. I had to put myself You're back tomorrow. into the grid view to see who it was. <laughs> well, appropriately enough, question number three comes from Might Be Sam. And the question is, how many cats are currently in Sam's house? Um, I recently answered this question on an episode of Zone of Truth over at the Hideous Laughter podcast. But if any of you have answers, feel free to chime in. The real frame should be, how many houses inside Sam's cats? Because <laughs> I'm convinced that's, I mean, listen, English majors, I'm sorry. But like what I'm getting at here is, <laughs> for apparently dramatic effects, my phone fell off of the desk. Uh, no, what I'm getting at here is, is there really more house than cats? Like by weight or displacement? (laughs) By spirit? Like Darth Vader, he's more cat than house now. Great, now I have cat Darth Vader in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't say that joyfully enough. Oh, I would be incorrect if I didn't point out that we also have asked by Malinore the same question months ago. How many cats do you have total? Foster's count. It wasn't just Corey who asked that question. The inquiring minds want to know, do we have any other answers as to the number of cats currently in my house? I'm going to say more than one and less than the total number of cats currently in the state of New York. Pretty safe answer. I feel like the truth is like an eldritch unknown and that by trying to answer it too hard, our minds can't contain the multitudes of cats beyond the dark tapestry. I mean, honestly, that's probably 
the real answer. Like, don't don't try and count the cats. You know what happened to the last guy? <laughs> you think we're the original <laughs> cast, the potty against the machine? <laughs> As Bob Dylan said, I contain multitudes of cats. I'm going to price his right, Jero, and say more than two and less than one below the <laughs> amount of cats in the state of New York. Interesting. All right. So I can't throw this to the person to my right because that's Jero and he threw it to me. So, Jeff, <laughs> the person below me in the Skype window. And the totem pole. Let's see. Next question from just the most unnatural number of chooches. Triple chooch cat. Who has been the favorite player character uh, you each have played in any of the Network Against the Machine games released so far? Second part, who has been your favorite that one of your castmates has played? Question for the whole cast, including Sam. Oh, well, to, to continue the theme so far, I'll answer first. Favorite character I've played so far... <laughs> Would I want to play them for a hundred and plus episodes? Probably not, but I really enjoyed playing Tetros in our episode 100. That was just a fun, I feel like in, in some respects, just from my deadpan natural humor that I really easily lend myself to semi-emotionless androids. And you can take that in, in, <laughs> in all the correct ways. Favorite that... <laughs> someone else has played on this show dang probably uh, i'm gonna stick with the the non-main shows just for usually it lets us go kind of more wild but uh Hiram uh from sundered waves <laughs> was just you know answer machine learning question take a drink like it just i was gonna say take a drink that's so good yeah that was it entertained me greatly as a gm and then listening back i'm like dang he really was that funny but it's so close <laughs> because banram and all the like amazing bardage that was just really talk about the american spirit i mean <laughs> banram divis was was a treasure really it was an honor to gm both of those characters <laughs> <laughs> You kind of stole mine. I was going to say Banram for my... So, favorite character that I've played, I'm going to also agree with... Oh, I don't know. It's honestly Peanutman. I love Peanutman so much. <laughs> like, that is straight up, like, a character that I would love to play. I was just like, man, if this character... I mean, if Brixby ever dies, do I come back as, like, a legalistic cleric of Asmodeus with like a southern lil <laughs> no sweat. no I've already played the kind of flop sweat of course yeah no it's a it's my <laughs> a drawback blood, a blood addled <laughs> flop sweat <laughs> a bloat mage that's well I do declare the magic's just coming out my pulse but yeah so I would say that it's peanutman for sure and then since I'm not allowed to choose Banroom and Balaam I'm gonna choose alligator Absolutely, one hundred. Because I'm from the East Coast. I mean, I'm not uh, the, the exception in that. Obviously, actually, most of our podcast is from the East Coast. But um, yeah, no. I mean, Ali just really like strikes a chord of a certain semi mid Atlantic <laughs> experience that I've had multiple times. And yeah, Izzy is just amazing at that. So uh, that's mine. Jarrell. Oh. <laughs> So characters I've played, I'm going to say 
Hal, the uh, skeezy used car salesman Gray, uh, pretending to be a halfling, uh, who is the only <laughs> one-shot character I've played twice, uh, <laughs> uh, just because it's just a lot of fun playing a character that's like blatantly not a fantasy character in a fantasy <laughs> game. And as far as other people, my number one would have been Peanut Man, and my number two is going to be Allie, so... <laughs> <laughs> no rule of saying we can't repeat, although I appreciate y'all loving on all the characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, are we allowed to pick things that people have played but not in our shows? Because Zach's cleric of uh, Abadar, oh, he was so having <laughs> to roll, was amazing. Watch <laughs> if anyone has not listened to he that, was terrible. Uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> he was exactly what you would expect a uh, Inquisitor of Abadar to be, and I think I said cleric by accident. <laughs> but yeah, no, that is. A very fun character, uh, but keeping it in network, you know, uh, I think I'm gonna have to go with uh, Sam's character from our uh, Cthulhu game, Colm Driscoll. Colm <laughs> Stickman weird, Driscoll. Boy Stickman. <laughs> Emaciated Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Sam. Well, my favorite character to play is a pretty easy one um i have fewer to choose from than most of you but banrum was so much fun and just having like it had to be at least 15 tabs of like motivational speeches and song lyrics yeah <laughs> just closing them one by one basically every time i had a turn that was a lot of fun let's see favorite character that's not mine let's see there's there's so many to choose from and like, of course, Peanut Man was great. I love the the dynamic of Tetros, and I cannot Lysander. remember his Lysander. Lysander, <laughs> yes, I love. I just love how much Tetros hates Lysander. Me too. Oh my god. Oh, it's so was... glorious. Oh, a chef kiss. <laughs> stupid characters. I play nothing but stupid. Characters. Oh my god. And then I gotta give a shout out to Alowin and just how outright bonkers f off the wall he is to just like have anyone deal with him. And as a GM, like he walks into a town yeah. and he's got a giant bouffant of hair yeah. covered in a he hood. Is and his... the, uh, he is the Leslie Nielsen of uh, Numeria and yeah. he is a complete straight man who has all this weird crap <laughs> happening that he refuses to acknowledge. <laughs> and he, he's the weirdest crap of all, though. That's the thing. Yeah. He plays everything totally straight despite the fact that he's clearly from space. <laughs> Whoa, spoilers. It's not from space. Before we get too far, dude, I just want to say, as the GM for Banrum, I love how much you did the like pistol phenom stuff and literally never fired the gun once. <laughs> I had no intention of ever firing that gun. Yeah, he, yeah, you, you were too busy, like on your character sheet. Yeah, like just Tony Robbins, <laughs> the bard. <laughs> I fell absolutely in love with the 2E bard just building him and like realizing that like I could do the pistol phenom archetype that's just charisma based. All you have to do is have a gun. You don't, you don't have to be any good at fighting. 
All right, and uh, we're gonna close it out with one of our one of our favorite people named Rain Zero on the Discord. Uh, if Alien were a chip flavor, what would he be? I guess we're continuing the terrible trend I started. Is Loser a chip flavor? Ooh. I know they have like full dressed up in Canada. Wow. Do they have anything else wacky like that? Um, Yes, it is, but it's pronounced Cool Ranch. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I'll go with a shrimp chip because he's shrimpy. And that's my answer. Over to Sam. I was going to go on a very very similar theme. I was thinking because he's in an arachnid robot, I mean, there's something fishy about him. Probably like the crab flavored chip or like a prawn kind of thing. Something that I would never eat. If I saw a picture of Hellion on a bag of chips in that Numerian vending machine, I would steer clear, and I don't think I'd get anything from the vending machine because it's probably radioactive or evil. Which goes nicely into my chip flavor combo of motor oil and uranium. Because <laughs> he's a radioactive I should have robot. said blue Takis. <laughs> Jiro. Like, the blue Takis. I was actually thinking, like, those uh, chips... Bought one a while back. Is those ones they like come in a coffin shaped thing, and there's just one chip the in pocky, it. The pocky, like super hot chip. Yes, the oh, pocky, the very chip spicy chip. Yes, that has no taste to it. It's just burning, and it's just uncomfortable because it's Ooh. not the good kind of hot. Dang, that's a that's a. And it also breed. just takes way too long to go away, which <laughs> that also works with Hellion, and I. That's what I think he'd be. I think he'd be one of those one chip challenge chips. I assumed you'd say something like alcoholic Mountain Dew and Shiracha, but I guess we'd, you know. No, see, I would eat that. (laughs) (laughs) This is a person of culture we're talking about here, Jeff. I'm I'm sorry. Edit it out. I was about to grab an alcoholic Mountain Dew and hold it up, but I realized I didn't get one yet because I didn't want to grab it until we started the actual episode. (laughs) Actually, now that I'm thinking about Hellion a little bit more... He was obsessed with dropping that cloying darkness on everyone. So I think maybe like a Mountain Dew pitch black flavored chip, like a Dorito (laughs) with the Mountain Dew pitch black flavor. And maybe to throw in like a little bit of the fish theme from before and make it a Simpsons reference, throw in clam juice. I was going to say a little squid ink, like twice oh, the amount of squid, squid ink. ink. Was it clam that's juice normally or was it crab juice? No, but it's like twice the amount of squid ink that's normally in Mountain Dew, right? <laughs> Jerome, how much is that normally? <laughs> Tamaka. Is there like a know, federally acceptable <laughs> amount? or It's like just below the, the legal threshold. However much they can sneak in without the FDA noticing. <laughs> so was it clam juice in the New York episode of Simpsons or was it crab juice? It was crab juice. Oh, no. oh my eternal shame. <laughs> I have Mountain Dew or I have crab juice. Ew. Ugh. Give me the crab juice. <laughs> <sighs> All right. <laughs> well, thank you so very much for your questions that we answer, which, in case you were wondering how we came up with the title questions and answers no we're calling it that now it's actually mostly because you ask us questions and we answer them if that isn't clear by the end of the segment we haven't done something right thank you again for joining us for uh, machine learning i'm going to the bathroom you should probably wait until you get to a 
<laughs> We're already in one. <laughs> Have a good What time. is the call and response to that? <laughs> like... Hope it flows We well wouldn't say you. good night. <laughs> Don't forget to flush. Don't eat the urinal cake. <laughs> We're making Zach host for... No! No! (laughs) I can't even remember how this thing starts. Uh, You just basically have to sit there for five minutes struggling to remember the name of the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, do we not have five minutes to say it all? Uh, what is it? Oh man, you know I'm not gonna remember it. I am the worst of all the rememberers of all of you, of our lengthy episode titles. Not to add Someone any pressure, wants... but Jeff did get it on the first try. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that's not gonna make me get it anymore. Welcome to Machine Learning, the other podcast we do, but not the other one or the other other one. It's the one that has this many words in the title that we're doing right now. See? Nailed it. That's why we have Jeff do it. We have <laughs> to go back someone and count remember? that and see if that was 25 words or not, because if it was, that would be perfect. <laughs> that would be... Like, is it written somewhere? I will read it, but I like straight up cannot remember it. Yeah. it it's a it's, hole uh, in my brain. Machine learning, a pod about the machine from Pod Against the Machine, the only podcast of the supplementary podcast with a twenty-five word title. Machine. I can remember that perfectly, but I cannot remember anything we've actually recorded for the show. Oh man, yeah, I had it there, but I lost it between <laughs> when I said machine and you finished what you were saying. It's just gone. So, uh, machine learning, a pod about the machine. By the machine. <laughs> uh, machine learning, a pod about podcasts. <laughs> Look, we need bloopers for something. I had one for 103. No, two, maybe. So, like, we, we really could be using this for the powers of good, but please, someone put me out of my misery. No. Oh, there it is. No, you don't get to waltz in here. An hour and a half late, <laughs> shaving your beard off, and not day. saying anything, and then try and get out oh, of. Oh, it's it's there. I, it's just the light. Mm, I look like sure. sick in this light. I look incredibly ill. Boop. That was early. It's all ruined. Bummer. Jeff, how do you feel about that early clap? Oh, it's gonna keep me up tonight for sure. <laughs> I just I feel so bad for Jero having to edit it with that clap all thrown off. <laughs> it's gonna be horrible. I don't know how I'm going to get everybody today. Boop. The arena. I'm Sorry. muting because I'm getting a phone call. Uh, oh. Okay, I was like, what is that sound? Am I just losing my mind? That's why I stopped. Uh, uh, it's not because I forgot the word arena. It was hoot, 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 hoot. Boop. And into the nasty troll nest that I had mentioned before. Yeah, down to the, down to the, to the floor. To the floor. To the floor. <laughs> and somewhere between the windows and the wall. Boop. We did, in fact, have a drive and desire to head into book two with just as many gross jokes about goopy liquids as we did in book one and two. Book three. 
I'm doing a great job. I really need to go to bed. I'm so tired. It's been a, a very long day at my first new day at my new job. And I hate Grafana, but so. Grafana is the BBEG. It is. It really is. Just just use like Zivix or something else, people. Zavix. Boop. Good, good, good machine learning, everybody. <laughs> that's, that's how we end those, right? You, you say good like three or four times. Good, good, yeah, good, good machine learning. Good. Good, good. <laughs> good. Good, good, good. Good. Good Grafana learning, everybody. Good. Good. Murder.